If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For over 350 years, the state of South Carolina has been the setting for some of the most horrendous crimes ever committed. Some have gained global notoriety. Some have been forgotten, and others have been swept under the rug completely. Now, two South Carolina natives and true crime enthusiasts have teamed up to examine these heinous acts in detail, giving their perspective of the evil that has resided in the Palmetto State. You're listening to Carolina Crimes. And welcome back to this week's edition of Carolina Crimes. We're so thrilled you've joined us. I'm Matt Hires, along with... Danielle Myers. And thank you so much for being here. And Danielle's going to bring us an awesome one mm-hmm. uh, from James Island, South Carolina. That's right. We told you last week we were going to the low country. Well, we're here. And special thanks to everybody that gave a lot of feedback. Uh, last week was a, a wild one. Yeah. Uh, I, the ones with no murder and nobody really getting getting killed, maimed, anything like that, I, I, I like those. I like those. And there's a lot of crazy twists and turns about the life of Congressman John Jenrett. If you haven't listened to that one, episode 92, go back and check that out. Um, had a lot of fun researching that one. And I encourage you to do your own research on that one. Look into that. Uh, look at in the sources at the books that we have listed and uh, just a fascinating life we were just able to touch on the tip of the iceberg oh yeah there's probably for way John more Jenneret. stories that we didn't even yes get to a, a once disgraced member of Congress and it was it, it was fun to uh, to read about his life and the life of his former wife Rita it's just unbelievable unbelievable well, if you haven't already joined us on uh, social media, check us out on Facebook at Carolina Crimes Podcast. Also on Twitter at SC Crimes Pod. And if you're thinking about and you want to support the show, head on over to CarolinaCrimesStore.com. We've got plenty of apparel, goods, tumblers there, hoodies, hats, etc., etc., mm-hmm. uh, to make you look good here this fall. Uh, check us out there as we get closer to Thanksgiving, and Christmas is right around the corner as well. I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll go ahead and uh, let you know there may be a sale coming up around uh, Black Friday. If you want to check those out, a sale online for some of, our, uh, some of our apparel. So check that out, support the show, and get the Carolina Crimes lover in your family 
uh, something uh, something from the store. Yeah, good pr- Christmas gifts. There's um, people who gave them out last year. There we got is. to see pictures of them. There is, there is, and I think that's wild. They were taking pictures of them opening their Carolina Crime stuff, and th- thank you guys. Yeah, thank I think you. it's cool to see, and then they model them afterwards. Yeah. Well, this week, we're going to take it, like we said, to James Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Island, South Carolina is in Charleston County. It's actually a little southeast of Peninsular Charleston itself. And uh, a real sordid history about the actual town of James Island being incorporated. Okay. Lots of legal battles. Charleston, the city of Charleston, wanted it to remain part of the city of Charleston. They wanted to incorporate the the residents of James Island, a town of their own. It went back and forth, and basically lots of court challenges, and an almost fifteen year dispute over if James Island can be its own entity. It looks like it was incorporated in nineteen ninety three. Then it was taken away. Then in 2002, then it was taken away. Then in August of 2006, it was incorporated. Well, James Island is the actual area. It's it's a very nice bedroom community of Charleston. A lot more low-key than downtown Charleston. Yes. Good restaurants, good shopping, a nice place to live, uh, safe. And you actually drive through James Island to get down to Folly Beach. So that's that was a place when I was down in that part of the state I like to go to a lot. Yeah, Folly Beach is really nice. It, it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the history of the island, um, one of the biggest historical events that happened there was in the U.S. Civil War. Uh, the Battle of Secessionville was actually on James Island. Found this interesting. A lot of my classmates from the Citadel listen to this show. And the current mayor of James Island is Bill Woolsey. He was an economics professor. I was in his class at, at the Citadel, and I think that's that's wild. Libertarian Bill Woolsey, the mayor of James Island. That's pretty cool. So you, get that, like, you know somebody. Yeah, I feel special. <laughs> uh, well, the population of James Island today is 11,621, so pretty small town um it's a like we mentioned a bedroom community of charleston most of the people that live in james island if you're not working at any of the restaurants or service industries in james island you're going to go to charleston proper to work yeah uh, in -hmm. in other areas of charleston county it's worth mentioning james island county park is one of the coolest county parks i've ever been to in my life really they had a public golf course a uh, rock climbing wall, and every Christmas, James Island, they put on the greatest Christmas light show I've ever seen in my life. Oh, I might have to check that out. I've yes. been to Charleston around, the, around Christmas time and see lights. At, um, we've gone to Boone Hall Plantation, and they do different things there, but I've never – I didn't know about that. No. And even we've been to Riverbank Zoo, seen their light display for Christmas – they don't hold a candle to James Island County Park. Let me tell you that. <laughs> People come down and volunteer like campers. Um, had an aunt and uncle that used to do this. They take their camper down there, park them in September, and that's when they start putting up lights. Oh, man. And they let them camp there for free if you helped with the Festival of Lights there at James Island County Park. And it's man, 
it's nice <laughs> awesome i mean like carousels that move and so we're getting close to the holiday season if you're around james island james island county park i highly recommend it i can't believe we spent that much time talking about christmas lights sorry guys hey it's an interesting topic i love christmas lights <laughs> yes well some of the more famed folks uh from james island um stephen colbert every time we're in charleston i think every portion of charleston claims him and uh, he actually went to elementary school on James Island. Uh, Roddy White, the NFL wide receiver. Uh, Samuel Smalls, the inspiration for Porgy and Bess. Tony Elliott went to James Island High School. Uh, he was the former Clemson offensive coordinator and now the head coach at the University of Virginia for football. And uh, Gorman Thomas, the former catcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, all from James Island, South Carolina. And Danielle, uh, we talked briefly about this case. You said we're going to head on back to the 70s. That's right. Yep. I had to fact check you And real class. And, and what um, what ended up coming of that? You were right. Thank you. You were right. And we'll, we'll get into that in a, in a little bit. So Thank you. Go ahead and take us away. Um, let's talk about this crime that occurred on James Island. Okay. Well, it is a Friday night in the south. What is something that's big in the South on Friday night? And I'll give you, it's uh, November 15th, 1974, so we're in the fall. We're in the South, and it's um, Friday night. What, what, what is something football. that you're very familiar with? That's right. Football. High that's, school football is a big thing. That's what my falls rotate around. and um, Before we get to the, the big college game day on that Saturday. Right. So it's a Friday night in the South, like I said, November 15th, 1974. Mm-hmm. And James Island High School was, uh, they were playing Somerville in a high school football game where James Island would actually go on to win that game and eventually win the state championship. So it was a good, a good season for them. This is um, this is going on, you know. Like I said, typical Friday night. There's a local grocery store that was called Sam's Red and White. I've never heard of that. I, I remember Red and White. You did? Yes, we okay. had we had one in Walterboro when I was very young. I think it's. Um, it I think my dad might have worked. It might have been. White. A, I think it was maybe a small chain specific to the Low Country. It kind of seems like because I don't ever remember. Yeah, it, you know it that was. anywhere I I've, lived. I've never seen it anywhere else, and I think my, my I think like I said, I think my dad might have worked there in high school. I'll well, have to ask him. Red and white I'll grocery say, store. Yeah, it's called Sam's Red and White. Um, it was business as usual with people getting the typical things that they needed to either further enjoy their Saturday Friday night or get ready for the weekend. And this was the same. This is what exactly what um, for Officer Cribb and Officer Tompkins, two officers that worked for the Charleston County Sheriff's Department, but they happened to be off duty this particular evening. They were just hanging out. Decided to, uh, they ran up to the store um, so that they could get charcoal for a cookout that they were planning on having at Cribb's home later that evening. Okay. So they, you know, go into the store, typical thing. They go get the charcoal, anything else that they might need for the evening, maybe some beers, who some, knows? Some cold ones, yeah. Yeah, it's possible. And 
they are heading back to the front of the store to check out and leave. And there was a customer who was in the store that recognized either one or both of them, at least one of them, and knew that they were a police officer, mm-hmm. even though they weren't in uniform, and got their attention and let it be known there's something going on at the front of the store. Okay. Well. So, you know, they decide they're going to go up there and see what's going on. And we're going to do an early break on this one just so that we can really get – I don't want to have to break while we're in the middle of telling the story. Fair enough. So we're going to just do a, a quick break. And mm-hmm. then when we come back, we're going to uh, find out what was discovered was going on at the front of this yeah. grocery store. What's going on up in the front end of red and white? That's right. All right. Thank you, Danielle. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsors. Hi friends, Matt Hires here. Are you ready to strengthen your mind and body while getting in touch with your inner zen? Then Southern Yoga Studio is the place for you. Southern Yoga Studio is the most inclusive yoga studio in our area and they have classes for every body. That's two words, every body. So whether you're the petite type like Danielle or on the huskier side like myself, there are classes available for all shapes, ages, and yoga abilities. This is the yoga studio for you, and there are classes ranging from beginner, slow flow, deep stretch, power yoga, mixed level vinyasa, hot yoga, restorative, gentle, and yin classes that are all available at Southern Yoga Studio. Their knowledgeable and experienced instructors are available to help you along your yoga journey. That's Southern Yoga Studio, located at 727 Dilworth Lane in Rock Hill, beside Nishi G's. You can visit them online at www.southernyogastudio.com. That's Southern Yoga Studios, yoga for everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
And welcome back to this week's edition of Carolina Crimes and this tale from James Island, South Carolina. We took an early break, Danielle. You gave us just a little tease there. That's right. Uh, got us all hooked into football Friday night. James Island, by the, by the way, um, they won the state championship in 1974. Yes. Undefeated. Undefeated. Only allowed a total of seven touchdowns all year long. And you know all that because that's what you used to fact check me. Yeah, I was like, and James you're... Island didn't win a state championship. And you were wrong. Yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> you were right. Okay, so we were at the Red and White mm-hmm. grocery store. Yes. Uh, these two off-duty police officers, they were getting ready to have a little low-key low key, uh, grill-out session. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone came running up to them, had recognized them, that they were police officers, and said, hey, we need your help at the front of the store. Something's going down. Yes. All right. So they proceed to go to the front of the store to see what was going on. And it became apparent between what they saw and also, I guess, murmurs of other people saying stuff that were in the store that the store was being robbed. So once they get up front, what they see is a man holding a gun to an employee and leading them to a corner office where the safe was located. And, you know, a lot of grocery stores, the office is usually right there in the front. Yeah. So Officer Cribb had his gun on him but his colleague um, officer Tompkins did not so of course you know you still have this duty to protect and serve even though you're not in uniform officer crib pulls his uh, weapon and manages to I guess catch the guy by surprise because he's leading the employee into the office so his back is to the rest of the store mm-hmm. and he approaches the armed suspect from behind and tells him to freeze. The man does, and his colleague, um, Officer Tompkins, is, you know, of course, standing there ready to assist. And what the two of these two off-duty uh, police officers didn't realize was that this suspect was not acting alone. Oh, no. So there was actually another man that had been standing outside of the store acting as a lookout. And there was another man that actually was in the store by the front office. Okay, so this was a three-man robbery operation. And that was learned because once it became clear that, oh, we've got, you know, some kind of interception with our plan. There's apparently police officers here. There's a couple heroes. They're playing clothes. They probably didn't even know they were officers. It was just two people basically messing up their plan. Right. The man that had been standing outside as the lookout comes into the store and immediately shoots Officer Cribb, hitting him in the neck. This, of course, immediately incapacitates him. That's a pretty serious wound. And Cribb, of course, fell to his knees. And while he was attempting to get back up to his feet, the third man who had been in the store... Mm -hmm took a weapon that he had and shot Crib in the chest. Wow. The three men uh, then fled the store, and as they were fleeing, Officer Tompkins, who didn't have his weapon, grabbed Officer Cribbs's weapon and proceeded to fire several shots at these men as they fled and unfortunately wasn't able to hit any of them or do anything to stop them. Mm-hmm. 
and they ended up jumping into a vehicle and fleeing. So they estimated. What a scene! They so of course you know you've got people in here. I mean, just imagine you're just going to the store on a regular Friday night, even if it's a regular night throughout the week, just picking up some things, and all of a sudden, you know, I mean, I don't know if it was big around this time period because I have heard about stuff like back in earlier time period, but I don't really have any recollections of grocery stores being robbed from my time you know no but you gotta think it'd be a lot harder uh today of course uh a cameras are everywhere uh b everybody's got a cell phone on them mm-hmm. so shoppers they hear gunshots they're dialing 911 right then hey police hightail it over here to you know food line or Publix. we got you know somebody's firing off some sh- popping some caps in here get get over here immediately or um you think about the grocery store, it maybe had one phone in the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and probably nobody near it. So more than likely, officers weren't notified that, you know, the store was being robbed. Maybe they had the panic buttons. I don't know if they those were a thing in 1974 or not. Yeah, I don't know. I know I they've been around for a while. Yeah, I know. That, well, and it could be that they were around, but maybe not in grocery stores. I know that a lot of banks had them because mm-hmm. it was more prevalent for banks to be robbed than grocery stores but you would also think well grocery stores too a lot of cash changing hands yeah you didn't have the card readers or credit cards weren't prevalent to buy groceries what you what you probably had was and i'm gonna I'm sound bad for saying this i'm gonna say little old ladies writing out checks yeah for groceries i know my, when i'd go with my grandma she'd write checks mm-hmm yeah, it was either that or cash. Wow. But wouldn't you think, too, that it would be, I guess, a more difficult scene to keep, um, I guess, in like control of it because there's so many – not only do you have so many people there, but there's so many different aisles and sections that you don't yeah, know. Yeah, there's even a lot of you, places to hide. Even if you think you have people round up, which they didn't do that, I think this was supposed to be just like a quiet – like, look, I'm just, we're going to do this, try to draw as little attention as possible. But, mm-hmm. of course, when you see somebody with a gun to someone that works there, lead them to an office, a lot of people are observant. But it just, it seems pretty bold to pick a grocery store of all places. Yeah. But most people, it's an opportunity. And James Island, I don't think the James Island connector was there. So I think it was only one way in, one way out of the whole island. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could take her come out of this grocery store take a right go to folly beach take a left go to west ashley yeah i think that's that was your only route of escape so sorry no no i, I mean breaking, it's, breaking it down in my head no it's good it's interesting to think about because like i said i was I, I don't remember a time growing up where i hear about robberies that were involved at grocery stores so that's it's just interesting that and, and this sounds bad but the only thing that really comes to mind when you talk about robberies at grocery stores the movie raised in arizona yeah where he's there to get the huggies and uh mm-hmm. yeah so sorry we're talking about that story the other i mean that movie the other day so of course he wasn't able officer tompkins wasn't able to hit any of these men or do anything to stop them and the men ended up jumping into a vehicle and fleeing and they were estimated to have gotten away with about five thousand dollars wow which police 
believed was most likely covered in Officer Cribbs's blood because yeah, he, he, was, mean, he was right there when all this was happening. And um, so it's just, uh, it was like, it was a sad scene. It was a, a crazy scene. Of course, I think Officer Tompkins went back to his partner or a colleague to try to help him. And um, unfortunately, he didn't make it. He actually was in it. He ended up being pronounced um, dead by the front door of the store. Wow. Officer William, who went by Bill, Thomas Cribb, he was a three-year veteran of the Charleston Police Department, so he'd only been there for three years. I think enough to have some of the experience, but still yeah, fairly to be new. new. Yeah, fairly new. And he was, um, he was 29 years old. And he ended up leaving behind a pregnant wife and a three-year-old daughter and his parents. So all of who were very devastated by the sudden loss, especially because I think a lot of it's like when you have someone in your family who does work in the line of duty like that as a police Mm -hmm. officer, Every time they go to work, you know, there's always that worry if they're going to come home, if anything bad's going to happen. But you definitely, I don't think it crosses your mind when they're not even on duty. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was off. He's like, I'm going to run to the store. I'm going to get this stuff. His wife is at home with his their daughter, expecting daughter, him to come yeah. back. And eventually they end up, you know, finding out that there was a shooting that took place there. Uh, it was said that a police officer was killed. They knew that he was there. And unfortunately, they did receive the news that it was him and Mm -hmm. that he did not make it. Wow. So after speaking with plenty of witnesses, I mean, between workers and customers, there were a lot of people who were able to (coughs) speak about what what happened. Mm -hmm. The Charleston County Sheriff's Office were able to release uh, composite sketches of the three suspects. Okay. And continuing to put stuff out to the public and continuing to go through the crime scene i don't know if video i don't think video surveillance was a thing then so you know of course you're going off these witness statements which are a lot um sled and the fbi eventually ended up getting involved and helping out in this investigation with trying to see if they can get any kind of identification with these three suspects anything that could say who they were and unfortunately not even one of them was identified. Oh my gosh. And the case eventually went cold. Um, and we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, it starts to ramp up a little bit years later. Okay. So I'm, you, I'm interested. Uh, so we'll kind of we'll kind of see where that goes, and if it okay, because I was like, is that it? It has the ending. <laughs> it went cold, and that's thank you for listening. No, yeah, but. I was um, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't do that to our All listeners. Right. That's cruel. So we'll be when we come back. We're going to find out, you know, the traction to see if hopefully we can get the ending that we we want. Absolutely. We'll see. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. Welcome 
welcome back to Carolina Crimes and this heinous scene uh, that we talked about from the this robbery of the red and white grocery store in James Island, South Carolina. Um, one of the off-duty officers, Officer Cribb, uh, was shot and killed by uh, the perpetrators. There was three men mm-hmm. involved, um, and he was trying to do the right thing trying to stop the robbery, trying to save the red and white employee that was at gunpoint at the front of the store. And he ended up getting shot by the um, man that was looking, the lookout outside and also the third perpetrator inside the store. Yes. And when we left off, you said that the case had had gone cold, but the uh, escalation and the search for these perpetrators, it ramped up in subsequent years. Yes. So, actually, 36 years later, whoa! in 2010, uh, there was a private investigator by the name of Howie Komen, and he managed to convince the sheriff of Charleston at the time, um, Sheriff Al Cannon, who, oh, actu- yeah. who actually, I looked it up to see if he was still um, sheriff, and he actually was the sheriff of Charleston County from February of 1988 mm-hmm. to January of 2021. So yeah. he actually just just left off left that role. So yes, he and was, I remember the uh, Cannon Detention Center. I looked that up, and I had to like try to look a couple times because I was just trying to find him, and it kept popping up because they've got a detention center named after him. Yeah, and I, it's right there. It was asking uh, me about information about inmates, and I was like, I just want to know about the guy's name. Yeah, after. I just, I just want to know the namesake. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think that's located right there on Lockwood Drive near the Citadel. I think that's it. there's a police station there mm-hmm. that was built when I was at, in school, and uh, I think that's the Cannon. It's named after him, but maybe the Cannon Detention Center is somewhere else. Maybe I'm completely it, mistaken. It's pro- even Odds if it's are, not I'm there, mistaken. it's probably not too far from Yeah, well, it's in Charleston County. So this investigator, Howie Komen, managed to convince Sheriff Al Cannon um, to reopen the case, hoping to shed new light on it. And Cannon was actually a North Charleston police officer at the time of this crime. Mm-hmm. And he had worked with another Charleston County police officer named Mickey Watley to try to look into getting this case. So you have all of these, it was James Island, but you have all these different um, police departments wanting to find the people that were responsible for killing one of their own. Definitely. Especially when he was not even in uniform and wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And... So he, you know, Cannon worked his way up and was now the sheriff. And he remembered it. You know, he remembered going to the scene and he remembered hearing about it and all the facts of the case and how awful it was. And so, of course, you know, he was on board with, yeah, like, you know, we can look into this. I don't know how hopeful we can be. It's been 36 years, but, you know, a lot of times after time has passed and you re release stuff out to the public. People have had time to think about things. They've had time to really, you know, they've changed things in their lives, hopefully, yeah. where they can decide, I'm not at that place anymore. And I, I'm, I'm not scared anymore. I want to speak up. And your conscience, um, it, it matures over time, mm-hmm. I think is a good way to put it. Yeah. And you'd be like, yeah, I know my cousin was probably involved with that. Or, you know, this this guy I knew one time, I think, 
I think he had something to do with that. I ever heard a conversation. Yeah, people talk. People oh, talk. Especially when more than one person's involved mm-hmm. in crime. Absolutely. Someone always ends up talking. And they even went back to the scene where this crime took place at this uh, red and white, which had long since closed. And the building had been vacant for years. But being a grocery store, the layout's still the same. I don't think that they did anything with it. So they were able to kind of go back through the crime scene photos and they compared a lot of the witness statements to what they were seeing at the scene to try to figure out how this happened. But all they could do, of course, is you can say, okay, we know that this is what happened. And standing (coughs) in this vacant store, you can say, this is where this happened. This is where that happened. You can cooperate all that stuff, but none of that gives any... That doesn't give you a suspect. It doesn't give you any, you know, you have descriptions, but it doesn't give you any names. It doesn't give you anything that would lead them to be able to actually have a name and they can bring someone in and arrest them. Mm-hmm. Cannon believed that, um, and I didn't know about this. I don't know if you've heard this, but he believed that there was a couple possibilities that it could be as far as these three killers were concerned And he said that he believed that one of the possibilities is that they could have fled to New York City because in the 70s, many criminals in the Charleston area had ties to New York City. Wow. I didn't know anything. I didn't I've never heard that, but it obviously was enough for him to give that as a theory. Yeah. And you got to think because Charleston's not connected to I-95. Mm-mm. which is the main highway from New York to Miami. Mm-hmm. It's I-95 is easily 40, maybe 50 miles away from Charleston itself. So there's no real straight route there. But we go back to one of the previous episodes. We think about Rusty Woomer mm-hmm. uh, coming down here from West Virginia to rob, rob guys of their coins yeah. and out-of-state people coming in to perpetrate these crimes um if if they didn't pop up around the james island area that's probably a good good indicator they were they were out of staters they weren't yeah and the fact that you know you think too i don't know i mean james island is i haven't been there since i lived in charleston but i know even when i did did live there because my older sister worked on james island at the time it was a pretty well-populated, pretty busy place, a lot of businesses. But Mm -hmm. I know, like anything else in the country, in the world, but specifically Charleston, I've seen it since I've been back. It feels like it's doubled in size everywhere. Right, especially Mount Pleasant. Yeah. Oh, Mount Pleasant's on the other. That's on the other side of Charleston. So this is, you know, but I think, but at the time it was a little bit smaller. I would feel that a lot of people, especially in this local, not well-known grocery store outside of, the low country, we mm-hmm. believe. Um, you would think a lot of people, out of three people, there would be someone who could say, like, I, I recognize that person. And there wasn't any recognition. It was just descriptions of what they were wearing, what they looked like. Right. And the second theory that Cannon came up with was that it could have also been a gang that was moving through town, basically, um, you know, those opportunistic crimes, we need to do what we need to do 
you know, we're trying to get through. We'll stop, rob, get some money, and then keep on going. Mm-hmm. And so he said that would mean, if that was the case, that there's a big possibility that they left and haven't returned to the state. Right. Or if they had not that particular part of the state. And I got to think, too, one of the questions in my mind were uh, Officer Thompson. Uh, or Tom, Tompkins. Uh, Tompkins, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. He was able to grab the service weapon of Officer Cribb mm-hmm. once he was dead and shoot at the perpetrators while they were fleeing. I'm wondering if, I mean, it would have really helped if he would have hit one mm-hmm. or hit the vehicle and at least put a bullet hole in a vehicle so that would be some kind of telling mark mm-hmm. on the vehicle if it had to be repaired or was found broken down or abandoned somewhere that you knew which vehicle was involved, but that that's kind of a missing piece. I don't know if they they came up with that or if that was something that... Not that not that I read. Um, also, when you said if they would have hit someone, it could you know it might not have been enough to make the person fall, so they could have still continued to run. You know, could they have gone to a local emergency room mm-hmm. or a hospital? Because that happens. Or somewhere else in South Carolina. Because I think a lot of times some people in the ER, especially, I believe, they'll contact the police if somebody comes in with and I don't think it's all the time and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong but I think it's sometimes if they come in and you have a person who's you know got has a gunshot and they're very evasive about what happened Mm -hmm. or I don't know if there's this duty to report but at some point I do know there are times where the police do get called because they don't know if this person is a victim or if they are a suspect who just got hurt in the commission of a crime. And those of you, I know there's a lot of folks in the medical field that listen. Let us know if you're mandatory reporters or not. That's a great question. Yeah, because I've seen, I actually just watched one of my true crime shows on Discovery ID. um, I think this morning before I came up here, you know, got to get myself in the mindset. Oh, yeah. there was, I mean, there was one where the, you know, somebody showed up at the emergency room and they, it was obvious that they were, like, it was a couple of victims and they had gunshot wounds. Um, two of them weren't fatal. One of them was. And the, there was a second 911 call that came in and it was from an ER doctor mm. saying, I've got three teenagers that came into my emergency room and they all have gunshot wounds. So I don't know. I mean, it's like you probably need to send an officer to talk to them about what happens. So yeah, you I don't didn't know stand if it's in a, a triangle and shoot each yeah, other. Yeah, I don't know if it's a requirement, but it is. It, that was an interesting – I thought about I was like, hmm, I wonder if they have to do that or if it's just a yeah, let us diligence. Know. Like uh, let common us know. sense takes over and they're like, even if it's nothing, rather call. Yeah. Um, so there is a possibility, which is a bad possibility, that these people could have left and haven't returned to the state because, you know, like you said, they weren't locals and nobody around town saw someone and went, oh, that looks like the guy that was at the store. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually, in so in April of 2010, uh, Cribbs's mother, Winifred Cribb, did an interview. She didn't, she didn't do a lot of interviews. And she just, you know, talked a lot about what it was like losing her son, how hard it's been on the family, reliving the um, moment that she found out. Yeah. And the moment that she was there to witness his pregnant wife being told, oh, and gosh. then even worse, his three-year-old daughter having to find out that he wasn't coming home. 
and just how, how what how awful it's been on the family and how it's affected her over the years. And the biggest thing is, is she just, you know, wanted to know who did this and most importantly is why. And hoping, you know, and police, of course, like Cannon was like, this is also a big motivator, not just for the community, but hopefully, you know, given his mother some kind of closure. But unfortunately, she wouldn't get that answer because actually a few months after her interview in April of 2010, she ended up passing away at the age of 86. And they do have um, a monument for Officer Cribb in the Charleston County Sheriff's Office that has his, um, the picture, you know, that they take. Yeah. Um, when they're sworn like in, and, yeah, and the service picture, yeah. and it has a monument with his name on it and his um, end of shift, and his uh, and it lights up blue every year on November fifteenth, and um, you know there has been talk about possibly aging the composite sketches to hopefully have somebody recognize them. You know, like they do a lot of like people who have been kids who have been kidnapped, mm-hmm. they do the age progression. But unfortunately, that's those were with pictures. This is with a. Com- I don't know if they've ever aged a composite. composite sketch because that's all they have. But oh, um, and hopefully it'll you know it'll uh, cause someone to say that that person looks familiar. I, I know who that is, or I think I might know who that is. Um, but it's now been forty eight years since Officer Bill Cribb was killed while he was innocently just going to the grocery store to pick up a few things Mm. before enjoying his Friday evening and this is one of those stories that just unfortunately does not have the conclusion that we usually like to have but we've talked about it before that the ones that aren't solved are just as important to talk about because we you know you don't ever know and we've seen recent things (coughs) with stories that we've done where stuff has popped up yeah and hopefully it's been years and i can't you know this wasn't a one and done thing these guys had rather robbed grocery stores before or since this happened and other places people maybe they've gotten caught maybe these guys are dead um you just don't know but if we can get those composite sketches, put them on Facebook, yeah, that would be... I have them. I've got um, pictures of what the store looked like. I do have pictures yeah. of um, Officer Crib, And they do say that, you know, if you do have any information or anything that you might, you know, any, like every, they always say, every little bit helps. Mm-hmm. So you can always contact the Charleston County Sheriff's Office at 843-743-7200. Or Crime Stoppers of the Low Country at 843-554-1111. And it's unfortunate, you know, like I said, I hate that. I hate when there aren't conclusions, but we've also seen, I feel like we've seen a good bit since we started doing this. There's been a few cases where yeah. stuff has come up that people thought there would never be conclusions to cases. And we're, we've been seeing that a few times. Yeah, and we have. There's another one that will that got brought to light that we'll probably hopefully get to be covering soon, depending on how what the outcome is, because it's it's recent that this person was found, but and the amount of information they had on that person was little, minuscule, very very small. So there's always hope, and you know, 
people, like they said, a lot of the witnesses and the people that were actually involved in the investigation, probably not around anymore. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of times people get found through the, um, <coughs> what do they, they do, like the genetics? Yeah, the um, Ancestry.com. Yeah, they do and stuff. The... And there's been people who have been, suspects have been found, and even though they're dead, they're like, we know that it was this person. So. Wow. There's hope. Sometimes even having a name, but, um, you know, and I hate I hate not having conclusions, but at the same time, I think these are just as important because yes. keeping this is what helps a lot of these cases get solved is by keeping them, you know, out in the public eye. Out in the forefront. Letting people know about it and, you know, not forgetting the, the officer that gave his life when he didn't have to, if you want to be honest about that. He wasn't in uniform. Yeah. But you still have that duty to protect, and that's what he was trying to do. He's a hero. And he gave the ultimate he's a brave, sacrifice. He's a brave hero. And I always hate to hear about that, but it's, um, you know, hopefully we'll – I mean, I'd, I'd like to see there's be some kind of conclusion with this. Maybe one day. Yeah. Maybe one day. Well, thank you, Danielle. We appreciate that one from James Island, South Carolina. Uh, we're going to put some pictures, those composite sketches that you had mentioned on our social media Follow us there at Facebook um, at Carolina Crimes Podcast. Also on Twitter at SC Crimes Pod. And uh, if you're looking uh, to support the show, check out all the merchandise over at CarolinaCrimesStore.com. And uh, we'll be back next week with an interesting one as we get closer to that century mark. 100th episode special Special episode that's going to be as well. But next next week's going to be just as good. So tune in then. And thank you so much for listening to Carolina Crimes.